0: Turn with me in your Bible back to the book of Proverbs, to Proverbs chapter 10. And uh, I want to continue our uh, study on the book of Proverbs. And uh, the topic that we're looking at right now is the topic of work and laziness. Um, One of the things that that might surprise you if you open the Bible and uh, you're a new Christian or maybe you haven't become familiar uh, with the Bible early on, uh, is the Bible's perspective on work. We, we open the Bible and we begin to read it, and uh, we see from the very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book, a God who works, a God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. And uh, we, we know that after six days God rested, meaning not that he was exhausted. Uh, the Lord, of course, is not exhausted. He's not uh, tired in any way. Uh, in his godness, in his deity. In fact, the Lord Jesus uh, said that my father even now is working. So God continues uh, an activity, a divine activity, even to this day. We know the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, upholds the creation by the word of his power, according to Hebrews chapter 1, and he, he holds all things together, according to Colossians chapter 1. And um, so it, it, conventional wisdom might think that as we come to the Bible, we would see a God that desires for us in Christ to be at ease and, and to make life uh, simple and and that sort of thing, and yet we see a God who works, a God who makes, a God who creates. And, and especially, would you agree with me? We've had like two or three mornings the last few days where God has just gone above and beyond the beauty of the morning. I'm just beautiful, cool mornings, blue sky, some puffy clouds that show up later on, and just God, God extols His handiwork every day. And that's a demonstration that our God continues to work. He continues to labor, um, not, not just, not just cause He has to, but because it brings Him great glory and and we recognize as we get into the into the biblical story that just a a few verses later God creates people in his image and likeness and and here's Adam and Eve they're in paradise they're in the garden and we're thinking man this is like the original retirement right you know you're expecting eden to have the big screen 4K TV and uh you know the the ESPN channels and the golf course in the back and and everything that we think of as the good life, whatever that happens to be for you, and yet we don't see that. We we see a man and a woman, perfect in their relationship with one another, perfect in their relationship with God, walking with Him, enjoying life with each other and with Him, and yes, doing work. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking yard work isn't so fun, is it? I mean, yard, yard work is is not. You know, when mom and dad say, hey, you got to go out and do some yard work, you know, the the natural response of most teenagers in this room is not, oh, yippee, I get to put down my PlayStation and go work in the yard, right? That's not it. Um, And yet Adam and Eve, this, this is crazy, Adam and Eve loved and enjoyed the work that God called them to do. And as image bearers, we are called to work for the Lord. Now, of course there's a there's a wrench that gets thrown into the gears of biblical work and that is called the curse and the fall and we know that part of Adam's particular judgment was the creation would work against him in the work, thorns and thistles and things like that. Um, but but a biblical paradigm for work really starts with work being something that God does and he puts that in his creatures who are image bearers and it's a good thing and even now though, though um, tainted by the fall, God is redeeming work so that we use the gifts and talents that God gives us for his glory and for the good of society and our community. Um, so that's pretty radical today. It's pretty radical to adopt a biblical view of work. And that's why we're talking about it, because whether you are in retirement, whether you're in the midst of your career, whether you're a young person finishing school and thinking about what are you going to do with your life, we all need to start with a biblical view of work. So let me show you where we've been the last couple of weeks, and then we'll pick it up where we left off last time. Kind of talking about work and laziness is part three. We talked last time about work and wealth. Diligence, this is review, this is not in your notes. Diligence leads to wealth and negligence and laziness lead to poverty. And it's interesting, um, we were talking last time about uh, you know, the context of of the ancient day of the 9th century B.C., the 10th century B.C., when this would have been written. And uh, I called it on uh, the notes last time a non-welfare state with no grocery stores. And we talked about how in our culture today we don't know something of that. Now, Jack and Susie do know something about that because uh, for many years they have lived for a part of each year in Cambodia, which is a third world country that has no welfare system and no grocery stores. And uh, Susie and I were interacting over email this week about this. And it's interesting that, you know, you, you might think as Proverbs uh, pic- pictures the worldview of the day, there's no welfare system, there's no grocery stores. The, the motivation to get out and work is if you don't do that, you're going to die. You're not going to, you're not going to eat. But Susie reminded me, even though that's true, even in some third world countries like Cambodia today, the human sinful heart knows no end to its laziness, does it? Which means even in a culture with no grocery stores and no welfare system, people will try to get out of whatever work they can do, take advantage of other people. Susie was telling me how especially the the fathers in that culture who have children will... Just live a life of laziness and, and the, the impetus, the, 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 um, uh, the work ends up falling on the mom who goes out and is trying to, you know, put food in the mouths of her children that would otherwise starve. And then sometimes even the, the husbands get angry and take some of that money and use it for their own selfish means. And so, um, so let's not think that just because, um, you know, in a society like Proverbs or like uh, with cambodia that that means everybody's going to be motivated to work because that's certainly not the case yes ruby yes yeah that would be another example you have david and carrie and of course you visited there before so um yeah any any third world country you're going to see that people are sinners just like they are here it's just you know it's going to manifest itself a little differently depending on the society so uh, now Susie, we had a good interaction anything you would add to that just for our benefit this morning is that that's pretty much it So so we see that uh, this is God's design and yet even in our fallenness people will manipulate other people and even even using their own children uh to get out of their own responsibilities so and you know we we see that here I- in the states too i mean it's it's different because of government assistance and because of the wealth of our country but where people will will take advantage of their children in order for them to continue to live a lazy life and and i think that that's a real challenge for the church and and it's a challenge for government too where You know, when is it right to step in? When mom and dad do have the right biblical authority, when is it right for someone else to step in and say, "You know, these children are being neglected, these children are suffering, we're going to take over." And that's a great challenge. Um, And and, uh, I don't know that anybody's going to say that's an easy question to answer, but we know that um, um, certainly the church has a role in that when it calls us to um, to care for those that are that are really uh, neglected. Okay, so we, we see that the main principle, diligently, diligence leads to wealth. Negligence and laziness lead to poverty. Uh, of course, all that's tainted by sin, as we've been talking about. We also saw that it's important not just to talk about it, but to get to work. Uh, in our labor, in all labor, there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So good ideas are good ideas, but good ideas don't, that don't translate into uh, love for God, love for neighbor, obedience to the word, working, working. Um, that there's no profit in those things. We also talked, and this is where we ended last time, that it's important, and I want to bring the teenagers back. Some of you weren't here last week. Uh, Bring the young people in the room back to this point, that it's important that you, you don't just pick something to do with your life. It's important that you pick something that's actually going to help you to honor God uh, with the responsibilities he gives you. So as you think about college, those of you interested in college or trade school, or, or maybe you've got you've got a line on a, on a vocation with connections because you're, you're gifted and talented, Wh- whatever your future is, you want to think about how can I use those gifts and talents to honor God and to fulfill the responsibilities God has given me. Um, so um, do something that will yield provision and wealth. I'm not saying, you know, go find what's going to make you rich the quickest. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, Find something that allows you to use your gifts that God has given you, but will allow you to pay your bills someday, will allow you to provide for your family, will allow you to, um, uh, to do what Ephesians 4 says, to provide for yourself and have something to give to those that are in need. Um, don't, just, don't just do something just because it's something to do. Think about it. Pray about it. Use wisdom in that. Talk to your parents. Uh, talk to you know your school counselors, people like that, and think about what, what is a good career path or what is a good vocation for me. Um, and be careful. And I, I will not get out my soapbox again. I promise. But be careful how you think about even something like college debt and your ability to pay that off, given the degree program that you're getting. Um, the reality is there are really, really great young people that have racked up tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they have a degree that is not going to allow them work that will pay that off in any sort of reasonable amount of time. And, and through interest and whatnot, you, you look at how much that, a, that actual degree costs you ultimately. And then you have to come back and say, is that good stewardship? And, and moms and dads, some of you are thinking about that with your students right now. And it's like, what does good stewardship look like? Uh, we live in a society where somebody, somebody will offer you financing. Okay? That doesn't mean it's good. That doesn't mean you should do that. It means there's somebody out there will say, we can make this work for you, even though Biblical wisdom, biblical stewardship would say this isn't working. This is not a good idea. So we need to be careful. Just because it's being offered doesn't mean it's wise to do. Okay, so young people, think about that in your future vocation. Okay, let's uh, turn our, in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6, and let's resume talking about work and effort. Let's talk about ants this morning. Ants, biblical study of Proverbs chapter 6, we looked at this when we were back going through 6, but we're going to expand it a little bit here. Um, Talking about work and effort, work and effort, Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, there's this little um, section here that that Solomon expands on as he thinks about work and effort, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief or officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. Uh, by the way, we're going to talk about this um, probably not next time because I want to do a, a Christmas-related message next Sunday. So be there for that. I've, I've got one. Um, I've got a Christmas message that started with a theological question that my daughter asked me a couple of weeks ago. So it's always fun when, you know, you can do a Bible study based on a question that one of your children asked you. So anyway, so, so stick around for that. When we come back from the, the Christmas uh, break, I'm going to do a message on workaholism and communism uh, related to what we're reading here today. Because sometimes you, you can come away from something like this thinking, you know what, uh, God wants me to just work all the time. And uh so we have to talk about the the topic of workaholism. We also have to talk about communism in terms of the the biblical view of wealth and and how that works in community and society. So so stick around. Uh, probably after the first of the year we'll come back. We'll talk about workaholism and communism. Um no topic is left unturned in a Sunday school. Not a Grace Bible Church, okay? So, back to ants. Uh this is this is right out of the gate, but but this is radical. I'm telling you, this is radical. God wants you to work hard. To work hard, verse six, go to the ant, O sluggard, and observe her ways. Um, now, I, I, this is a bad time of year to do it because um, you know the, the temperature is changing and it's not as easy to see in, in the warmer climate, the warmer seasons. but uh, let me just just think back to last summer last spring, and, and let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen an ant that is not moving? assuming it's not dead, you know, right? not, not, not because you sprayed it with something, not because you know, Mike came over as pest control and, and not, not that. I'm just, have you ever seen an ant not moving? Probably not. Okay. Have you ever seen an ant in a break room before? No, you haven't. Okay. And, th- and that's why ants are used in this analogy to illustrate the point. Ants are always on the move. They're always working. And it's interesting, depending on, you know, it's carpenter ants or um, I, I, I mentioned to you some of my lamentations about Texas sandburrs a couple of Sundays ago. Another lamentation that I had to get used to was these Texas fire ants, which are not nice. Um, I remember the first time I met one of those guys the hard way. And um, yes, yeah, so, anyway, so, so whatever kind of answer we're talking about, we're, we're talking about these creatures that God designed, according to this verse, to illustrate biblical productivity and in industry. They're always on the move. They're always working. They're always mobile. And uh, And we can learn something. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says the same thing. Whatever your hand finds to do, verily, do it with all your might now just stop right there we talked last sunday about whatever you do do all to the glory of god right we all get that yeah we got to honor jesus everything we do listen to the similarity to this verse whatever your hand finds to do now now uh, young people let's just talk about that um does that mean schoolwork Talk to me. I know. I know. I know you don't want to agree. You agree with this, but but just talk to me. Am I right? Am I? I see that. Am I right? Is that is that included in whatever your hand finds to do? Okay. Uh, sports. What are we talking about, guys? Sports. Okay. Working at the job. Some of you have jobs now, right? Working around the house. You come home. You know, finals are done, right? You're home, everything's great, and you're thinking, I've got a month and a half to just veg out. And mom says, hey guys, would you mind helping dad in the yard this Saturday? And you're thinking, wait a minute, right? Wait, wait, wait that's not how this is supposed to work, right? Whatever your hand finds to do, whether imposed by parents or teachers or professors or bosses or whatever, whatever your hand finds to do, what does it say? Do it with all your might. Um, What does that mean? If you dig a ditch, dig a good one. If you dig a ditch, dig a good one. Here's a great way to think about this. and, And this is true for us old people also. Think about what you love to do. Whatever that is. Whatever you love to do. Maybe it's working in the garden. You know, maybe it's building something. Maybe it's watching the cowboys. You know, whatever it is. Think about what you love to do. Think about the energy you put into that. Think about the focus you put into that. Think about the attitude you put into that. And say, that's that, that That thing I love to do is the picture of with all my might. Got it? Now this is going to hurt, but I'm going to say it. And then you take that and you say, whatever my hand finds to do, that's the same level of focus and attitude and energy. And again, we're not, I'm not saying there's not a place for biblical rest. We'll talk about that. We we'll talk about workaholism. I'm saying whatever your hand finds to do, there should be an attitude, a focus, an effort that should look similar to the thing you love to do. And, and listen, listen. To, <laughs> now this is the same guy. This is Solomon penning the book of Ecclesiastes. Listen to what he says. Do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. <laughs> How does that make you feel? You're going to die someday. And, and by the way, just a footnote, this is not saying you know there's no activity in heaven. That's not what, it's looking at it from the standpoint of life on earth, Sheol representing the grave. What it's saying is this is the only life on earth you have. And then you die. And you don't have that opportunity on earth anymore. That, that's that's what it's getting at here. Okay. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. This is your one shot. Only one life twill soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. That was the sign of Above the kitchen sink in the home that John Piper grew up in. And it gets it sort of the same thing. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, because this is the one opportunity you have. Okay? So work hard. Work hard. Let's be radical. Let's work hard for God's glory and for the good of others. Number two, take the initiative. L- looking back at uh, Adam Ant here. Proverbs chapter 6, Go to the antel, slugger, observe her ways, and be wise. Verse 7, Which having no chief or officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Um, This really speaks to the issue of initiative, or what we might call self-governance. Do you guys know what I mean by Um, self-governance? Teenagers, young people, when we're young... We don't know anything. And we need a lot of outside structure, a lot of outside help. We had this little guy over at our house the other day, and you know what, if we just let him, this little two-year-old, if we just let him you know, run around and do whatever, he'd kill himself in about ten minutes. Because they don't know. They need a lot of external controls, a lot of external observation, a lot of input, a lot of protection. and And as you get older... God has designed maturity in such a way that as you get older, what's supposed to happen is you need less governance, less help from the outside, and you develop an ability on the inside to govern yourself. Does that make sense? Instead of somebody telling you what to do and not do, and then imposing blessings, uh, consequences, you know, whether you do those things or not, you develop an ability to govern yourself to to craft your day to plan your schedule to be on time to get your work done when you need to to organize your life to to pay bills and and you know so you're not behind on your bills and all these sort of, you're you're learning to govern yourself that's what this is talking about ants don't have a boss or parents as we think of for people and that's the picture here. They take initiative. They do what's right. They govern themselves. And, and notice the note here, even when no one is looking. And can I just say, that's a very, very difficult thing to do. You, you, you know, even though God intends it to be the, the goal, it doesn't just automatically happen. That's why we have a book like Proverbs that helps you to know, how do I become a self-governing person? And, uh, and I'm not saying we, we don't need anything on the outside. I mean, God has designed family. God has designed church. God has designed government, recognizing that it is good for us to have outside agencies. It is good for us. But in terms of our personhood, as we grow into maturity, we ought to develop the ability to govern ourselves and to take the initiative. And that kind of goes with the, the third thing here, and that is to wisely plan ahead. Proverbs 6, 8 goes on to say... Um, having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. What that means is we have to develop an ability to think beyond today. We have to think to the future, whether it's saying, you know, I'm going to go study this at this college because I think I can honor God the most in this vocation. Maybe it's that sort of conversation. Maybe it's just saying, uh, you know, for us old people, there's some things that we need to do around the house, you know, that's broken and this needs to be updated. And we're thinking about next year and we're thinking about how much is that going to cost and do we have the money to do that and how are we going to pay for that? And it, it's planning financial things. Um, but it's, it's this planning ahead. Of course, Solomon pictures here the fact that you, you, have, to, you have to gather together food uh, in the harvest time so that you'll have something to eat in the months that nothing is growing in, in your garden or in, on your farm. So wisely planning ahead. And I think, young people, this is a real challenge because um, everything in your life is designed to get you to maximize life in the moment and intentionally to not think about tomorrow. That's a great, it's a great in terms of loud, it's horrible in terms of rightness. (laughs) Um, That's a tenet of your generation live for today and don't think about tomorrow. Don't think about what it's going to cost you. Don't think about the consequences. Just enjoy the moment. Moment Moment-oriented entertainment would be the banner over your culture. Now, now, some of us older folks are thinking that's kind of how it was when we were kids too. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's not unique to this generation. Um, which means, if you're going to walk with God, you have to say, well, "Wait a minute! I need to think about the consequences. I need to think about tomorrow. I need to think about stewardship. Can I afford this? I'm just going to buy this today because it, it, it oh, it's going to be great, and I won't think about how I'm going to pay for it." Um, we need to plan ahead, we need to think ahead, and um, even when no one is looking, to think wisely about the future. Number four: pursue excellence. Look at Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-nine. 29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? Now, now let, me, let me make a distinction here between effort and excellence, okay? Because we just talked about working hard, that's effort. Effort means, working hard means you're putting time and focus and energy. You're not quitting when things get hard you 're not giving up though the task is only half done it 's about effort it 's about the actual work energy you 're putting into it for proverbs twenty two twenty nine is not talking about effort it 's talking about excellence. This is about the quality of your work. Listen to this. do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings now think with me for a minute. Um, there was a group of men who were really the the first sort of... uh, There was a group of men in the book of Exodus. I'll, 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 I'll throw out some of this. You'll see if I figure out who I'm talking about. A group of men in the book of Exodus and the Bible tells us that God had gifted them with particular skills and so they... Went into a particular vocation, and the way that they honored God was in excellence in that particular vocation. And this is not this is not religious. This isn't like the priesthood or something like that. Do you remember who are those who are those men that the Bible described in the book of Exodus about vocation and giftedness and working with excellence to the Lord? Do you remember? You got to think. There's 14 chapters in the book of Exodus that are about building a certain. Thing. yes that's right who who came up to work on what the not the temple you're close the tabernacle right temple was later on tabernacle was it was an exodus okay that's absolutely right so you have people that work with metals the gold the silver the precious metals you have people that that um are, are craftsmen that know how to build things. You have people that work with material. Remember all the linen? You know, there, there were curtains, there there were garments, there were all these sorts of things, people that would make the tunics and, and the clothing that the high priests would wear. And, and you're reading the description, you're going, man, this is, God's not like just, you know, go grab a coat and put it on. It's like it's got to be this size and in this way and this color. It's got to have this on it and that on it. And, and we see that th- those are people who, they didn't have a religious job, but the Bible um, commends them for using the gifts that God gave them. And, and do you remember what it says? They were known by what? Their excellence. These are people that didn't just have gifts in those areas, they were people that had developed those gifts to do excellent work, and that's why God said, you go get those folks to do it, and they're gonna build and participate in my tabernacle. So, so young people, look at this. What this verse is saying is, when you take the gifts that God has given you, and you develop them to do excellent work, people notice. And right here, it says, it might even be kings that notice. You know, you think about, what's a Christian worldview, a a, a, a Christian work ethic? It may be to go be a pastor or a missionary. It may be, you know, to go do some, you know, overtly uh, Christian ministry. But, but you know, another wonderful way to honor God in Christian work ethic is take what God's given you, use it to the glory of God, develop it to the glory of God, do that excellent work, work hard, and be a light to a dark world for the gospel. I mean, there are people in this room that are businessmen and women and have done so to the glory of God. There are people in this room that are engineers or pilots or doctors or nurses or school teachers. Um, Wonderful diversity in this room. And all of those vocations and occupations are glorifying to God insofar as they are done for his glory and with excellence in Jesus' name. That's the view. And this is saying that pursuing excellence is one of the ways that we honor God in our work. So not just effort, not just saying I work hard, but I do my work well. I work with excellence. Yes. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, come back for communism and, and workaholism for that talk. But um, yeah, there, there is uh, every, every single one of these points we, we could qualify in some way. You know, so I appreciate that, and, and we don't want a pursuit of excellence to turn into a perfectionism at all costs to the detriment of other God given responsibilities and duties. So that would be the, the balance to what I'm saying here. But I appreciate you saying that. Okay. Uh number five, be a good steward. Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-three. Know well the conditions of your flocks, pay attention to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Or Proverbs twenty four thirty. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Uh, one, of the, one of the marks of, of our work ethic here, our biblical work ethic, is being a good steward, uh, being aware, staying on top of our responsibilities. W- why would he say, know well the conditions of your flocks? Because in this culture, your flocks were your livelihood. So if if you're not paying attention to the health of your animals and they get a disease and they all die, well, guess what? There goes your industry. There, There goes your vocation in many ways. So staying on top of things, being a good steward, thinking about caring for possessions, caring for the things that God has entrusted to you in Proverbs 24 there, learning to be a good steward for God's glory. Okay, And that leads to the result of all this, work and reward. And I want to show you guys five rewards that God's Word addresses in the book of Proverbs, and one of them we'll have to go outside of Proverbs to see, but five different types of rewards that God says as we pursue work to the glory of God, this is what we should expect to happen. Now, now we qualify this that that everything I'm going to say here comes under the umbrella of God's sovereign care, which means these principles are not going to look the same in every person's life, uh, we know that uh, everything from wealth to reputation are ultimately things that God produces in our life, not through our own efforts alone. Okay, But with that qualification, notice Proverbs 10.4, financial reward. We've seen this already. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now it is true, in fact, the, the Proverbs talk about this. It's true that there are exceedingly lazy people that are wealthy people. There are some people like that in the world. But as a general principle, financial reward results from the person who works hard and is diligent. And laziness and negligence lead to poverty, or at least to having to take advantage of people and other sinful ways of getting on in society. Number two, there's a corporate reward. Look at Proverbs 12:24. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. Now, let, let me tell you, there's a cultural significance to this. What this is saying is that under the nation of Israel, the theocratic kingdom of Israel, if you were a chronic sluggard, the government could say you are being a chronic sluggard and they could sell you into slavery. Okay, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong, or whether we should do that today or not. I'm just saying that was the reality for the nation of Israel, and that's the sort of historical significance behind this verse. But, but don't miss the principle. Even though that not, doesn't happen in our day, don't miss the principle. The principle is when you work hard, you have opportunities to move up in your work and in your job. Now, again, this goes back. You say, well... Are you saying Jesus would want us to climb the corporate ladder? Well, yeah and no. Uh, No in the sense that that there's nothing intrinsically spiritual about moving from the the customer service representative to the CFO of the company. There's nothing intrinsically spiritual about that. But what this verse is saying is, When you work hard, it opens up doors of responsibility. And I think especially in the corporate world, or whether it's in education or medicine or in technology or industry, whatever your realm of work happens to be, usually this is true. Now tell me if this is true. Usually as you move into areas of higher responsibility in your job, what comes with that? Now think with me on that. What comes with moving up in your job in most industries? Influence. Influence. Thank you. So here's the question. Why would you as a Christian man or woman want to look for growing areas of influence? Why would you want to do that? To further the gospel. Further the gospel. So, so we, we could argue that uh, a main way why we would want to move into to realms of more influence and more responsibility in whatever industry you happen to be in, is because it opens up your influence for the gospel and for ministry in day-to-day. You know, th- there's another reason for that, and that is often, um, and, and tell me what you think about this. Um, the Bible gives us lots of realms of responsibility. For example, when I think about my life, I think I have a responsibility to my family. I have a responsibility. Uh, in the church just as a member of Grace Bible Church. I have a responsibility in my vocation, pastoral ministry. I have a responsibility to my community in terms of sharing the gospel. Um, There's all sorts of responsibilities. And you think, if if I'm in a job where I'm working 60, 70, and more hours a week, is it going to be easy for me to honor God in those other responsibilities, or is it going to be really, really hard to honor God in those other responsibilities? Talk to me. It's going to be a lot harder. So, so you say, okay, I want to think about my vocation in a way, not to try to get to the point where I, I can be lazy on my job, but I want to think about it in a way that if I move up, maybe me from the, you know, the customer service person that's on the phone to a management position, Maybe that opens up doors of influence, but it also opens up doors for me to manage my schedule so that I can use my time for these other responsibilities. So, And, of course, every industry is different with that, but that would be another way to think about a corporate reward and why we might want to pursue that. Number three, there's a community reward. Chapter 22, verse 29, do you see a man skilled in his work? We just saw this verse. He will stand before kings. What's that saying? That's saying when you do your work well, people may notice, and that may give you opportunities not just on the job, that's corporate reward, it may give you opportunities in society, um, like the workers of the tabernacle. Who said, "Oh wow, these guys are really good at what they do we 're going to give them this special task. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a metal worker on the original tabernacle? I mean good night can you Can you think of a better thing uh, to be able to do? Um, so we want to do that, and again with with that community reward comes influence, and with influence comes gospel opportunities. So we want to pursue that. number four, a personal reward. Proverbs 12, 14, a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words and the deeds of a man's hand will return to him. What is that saying? Pro- Solomon is saying is there is a personal benefit and a personal satisfaction to working hard. And and, and and young people, you've probably heard your dad say this. You've probably heard him say this. There is something personally rewarding to looking back on a full day's work and saying, by God's grace, I worked at my responsibilities as best I could. Uh, Whether it's school, whether it's making chicken at Chicken Express, whether it's taking care of medical patients up at the hospital, whatever you do, teaching kids to say, "It it is personally rewarding to think about your work knowing that you did it for God and you did it to the best of your ability. But notice also, a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words and the deeds of a man's hands will return to him. M- meaning there is even benefit that comes uh, in a job well done that may come in, the f- in other in other realms as well in terms of benefit coming back to you. And, and notice this, um, uh, we, we have some, some young ladies uh, here with us this morning also. A lot of what we've talked about sounds like we're talking about guys, you know, providing for their family, stuff like that. Listen to the Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31, 31. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now, we haven't talked about the, the P31 yet, the Proverbs 31 woman, but we will. Uh, this is a woman that works her tail off. This is a an industrious hardworking, wise, skilled wife and mom. And notice, look at this, she works hard and her works praise her in the gates. Now we know what that is because the previous verse says her children rise up and bless her and her husband also praises her saying many daughters have done nobly but you excel them all. So there's a personal reward for working hard. And finally, there's a final reward. And we have to go outside of Proverbs to see this, but this is really, this is really the most important um, because at the end of the day, talking about what we talked about last week, to do all for the glory of God, there's a final reward. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25 and let's look at the final reward. When we work hard to the glory of God, when we seek to use our gifts and talents with excellence and diligence, working well, there are rewards. Financial reward, corporate reward, community reward, personal reward, and lastly, a final reward. Matthew 25, you guys know this, uh, the parable of the talents, right? God entrusts talents to three different slaves. One gets five, one gets two, one gets one. Now, there are certainly um, there's certainly other theological themes going on here. I'm not seeking to exposit this whole thing for you. But I want you to notice one principle, okay? God entrusts certain gifts, certain talents, certain stewardships to people. And what does he expect them to do? According to this parable. To use them for the glory of God. And 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 I would I would say what I one of the things I read in this is you're maximizing your influence. It's what Jack said a minute minute ago. You're maximizing your influence by using what God has given you exponentially or in a multiplied way. Now, young people, I don't know that there is any greater reward that the Bible can offer to you than what this verse says. One day you will stand before the Lord Jesus and you will give an account for what you did in this life and this chapter tells us what we hope and pray and strive to happen on that day. Verse 20. The one who had received five talents came up And brought five more talents, saying, Master, you have entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents, using his influence for the glory of God. Verse 21, his master said to him, what? Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So teenagers, I I don't know that I can say to you from the Bible anything more motivating to this than to do your work in such a way as to hear Jesus say to you, well done. And notice, well done comes with what? The joy of your master. Alright, so let's strive for that final reward, hearing the words of our Lord Jesus of commendation. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for work And we're thankful that you made work to bring your glory. Uh, Lord, I pray, would you help us to think about the responsibilities you've given us as stewardships to you to work hard, to work with excellence, to plan ahead, to take the initiative, and to know that there is great reward, not just in this life, but that we would do so in a way that would please you and bring you glory and bring Bring the the eternally significant satisfaction of knowing that we did good in your sight. Lord, I pray, would you help us to live and enter our responsibilities each day desiring to hear you say that. Lord, that's true for all of us in this room. We would live to hear you say, well done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.